Welcome in, friends, to Betting Pros College Football Early Look Week 14. It is the conference championship time. I am Chris Welsh, joined by Thor Nystrom. You can find Thor at ThorKU on the Twitters. And Thor, our last show, our last show, I got to come and pinch hit, at least you and I, you will be doing plenty as the bowl games come in. And as far as I know, at least for the early look of what we're doing, I very, very, very much enjoy doing these with you for close to half of the season. But this is our last one together, my friend. Yeah, it's 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 bittersweet for sure. But yeah, it, I've, I've enjoyed doing these too. We had an awesome college football Saturday yesterday, and we've had some very interesting lines drop today for the conference title games. And we've already started seeing some line movement as you and I were talking about before the show. Yeah, we spent a little bit of time going through it. You know, one of the games we spent a decent amount of time talking with last week, and you did a really, really impressive breakdown, was the Michigan-Ohio State game. And you were talking about how much that Michigan side was really playing in. And what a game for the two and three. And Michigan pulls out the outright win. Thoughts just coming off of uh, one of the biggest games of the year, one of the biggest rivalries in all of sports. I mean, just all the implications coming out of it from uh, Michigan beating Ohio State. Well, from a selfish perspective, it, it, my my impression was I had an enormous bet regret about it because <laughs> like we said, money, money. <laughs> yeah. Like we talked about last week, I was all prepared to pick Michigan to win. All right. Certainly take them with the points, obviously, and stuff like that. But then the Blake Corum thing, it just got the, the injury thing. And then uh, Donovan Edwards, his his backup had missed the previous game. And so I just got two in my head about it and I, I decided to stay away. But Ohio State, as we have been talking about now for a month, has just been begging to get beat by anybody and Michigan didn't even need Blake Corum to absolutely annihilate them on their home field Michigan ran the ball better they passed the ball better they defended the run better they defended the pass better they turned the ball over less they had less penalties they had more yards per pass they had more yards per run I mean like across the board point to one area where Ohio State acquitted itself well in that game so kudos kudos to Michigan and especially doing it without Blake Corum obviously had enormous playoff implications and had an even perhaps bigger implications on the Heisman race where CJ Stroud coming into last week, he was still the favorite to win the award. By the time we got done yesterday with, with the action, Caleb Williams was something like minus 4,000. He's, I mean, he is way beyond the, the prohibitive favorite at this time. It, it, the books are just telling us that Caleb Williams is going to win the Heisman and it, it, crazy things would need to happen this weekend for that not to happen. So j just a crazy game with all sorts of um, enormous implications going on with it. Do you remember like a switch like that, uh, paying attention to the books for the Heismaners? Because I saw you tweeting about that. I mean, that was like a close thing. And then all of a sudden, bam, Caleb Williams just demolishes the odds across the board. Do you recall kind of a move like that in like the final week of the season pre-conference championship? Well, maybe if you took it over the, the week, you know, by and large, but just in, the, you know, the several hours no, I'd never seen anything like that because Caleb Williams went from essentially even money to begin the day to win the Heisman. He was he was minus 3000 by the time the Ohio State game got done. But the, the USC game, it hadn't even kicked off against Notre Dame. We were still a couple hours away from that kickoff. And and he his odds had just gotten really crazy. And it was it was a bizarre uh, uh, sort of proposition where you're you're thinking about it in real time. And it's like. Well, if Notre Dame upsets USC and Caleb Williams doesn't play well, now that the guys who the, there's going to be guys behind there that are just going to you know shove up the board or whatever. But if Caleb Williams if the, it, and USC if they hold serve in this game, the odds are going to get even crazier in in Caleb Williams's favor, and that's obviously what ended up happening. But no, I I'd never seen something like that where a kid goes from plus a hundred to, to win an award to minus three thousand in the course of a couple hours when he has not yet taken the field. Yeah, I saw a couple of people I follow note that like they're like three hours ago, I just got, you know, even money on Caleb Williams to win the Heisman. And now the odds have gone through the roof. It was pretty wild. So you literally up until like two days ago could have taken it or as we're recording this, you could have taken advantage of that. And now that is out the window. That's out season window. So uh, let's talk about the games. Let's get the early look. Obviously, the games are tapering down because we've got conference championships across the board. We've got a couple on Friday. We've got a whole set on Saturday. And we're also going to highlight as uh, Thor has already got some early lines locked up for some of these games. But let's start with the Friday games and let's go over to the Conference USA Championship 
Thor, where North Texas is taking on UTSA. UTSA 10 and 2, 8 and 0 in the conference. North Texas is 7 and 5. You saw a very, very nice advantage early on on this. And uh, UTSA, you have an adjusted spread that is over 10. The line is looking like it's sitting around eight and a half. So talk to me about UTSA in this game. Yeah, I, I thought the books dropped this line too low. When it came out, it was UTSA minus seven and a half. I bought the ticket right then. Like you mentioned, the thing has moved a point in the last you know hour and a half, two hours since then. And I expect this one to get closer to double digits by the by the time we kick. I, I think a part of the reason that the books were a little bit gun shy about it maybe was UTSA was sort of playing Patsy or Patty Cake with with UTEP yesterday. Very similarly, ironically, to what UTSA had done the year before in the exact same spot against these North Texas mean green in that game, North Texas ended up beating them, but UTSA turned around the next, you know, and, and, and UTSA was a double digit fave in that game, just like they were um, yesterday on, on Saturday, but UTSA turned around the next week and won the, the conference USA championship. They beat Bailey Zappi and, and the high flying uh, WKU Hilltoppers. The UTSA did the exact same thing this time around this time around. They, they did end up winning. They, uh, they had fallen down to UTEP like 21, nothing or 24, nothing. Or they, they dug, themselves this enormous hole but then they sort of roared back and at the end they won it by a field goal definitely not concerned about that it doesn't have any bearing on on this week north texas by the way they they barely snuck by uh, another uh, five and six team that needed to win to go into bowl season in rice um and so that you know it's sort of a similar thing there although rice was down to you know they're down on their backup quarterbacks whatever for for, for me this line should be minus 10 minus 10 and a half minus 11 somewhere in that range anything beneath 10 i'm playing utsa Okay, that was going to be my big question is like if this thing moves to nine or nine and a half, you're still totally comfortable taking this line as the week moves on. The fire point is beneath 10 for sure on UTSA. Yep. Okay. And I love absolutely watching them anytime I can. So there you go. Thor's got his bet in the eight. No uh, UTSA team is a play anything under 10, which is still got right now. Now, one of the biggest games uh, of the entire run here is obviously we're just talking about the uh, theoretical Heisman winner in Caleb Williams, USC and Utah are facing off in a PAC 12 championship game. USC is 11 and one. They're eight and one in the PAC 12. Utah's coming in nine and three, seven and two in the Pac-12 is a big matchup. This will be the big highlighted game. And the early line is really interesting because when you spit out your stuff, you had pretty much a pick em. This line, though, is moving and sitting around one and a half. And I don't think it's actually moved as I've gone through this. Now, it looks like it's still sitting at one and a half. So even though it's a pick em, what do you think about USC versus Utah? Yeah, so I, I I shared some of my my bets that I made earlier today with you. And I I, I locked in five of them. This one, I'm leaning uh, towards Utah's side ever so slightly, but there's no reason to pull the trigger on it early because there is a shot this thing gets to USC minus three, or who knows, maybe we even cross our fingers and, and hope it gets to three and a half. But where the line is right now, if you're interested in Utah, there's no reason betting it early in the week. Let's just wait for the market to, to push it over to the, the USC side. So, so I'm waiting on it. But like you said, I have the game as a pick em, and now the market's got a one and a half at two for, for USC. And, and we'll see if it keeps going the other way. But uh, as you mentioned, it, it, it's a fascinating rematch, right? Uh, USC is looking at the record and they have that little one in the last column that came courtesy of Utah. Now that game was in Salt Lake City. And it was a wild one. You know, USC had pulled ahead early and then Utah roared back at the very end and, and, and won by a point. Uh, Caleb Williams absolutely went off in that in that game. Travis Dye had a really good game as well. Travis Dye, he's out for the season, but the the backup, uh, the, the, the two and three for USC are pretty solid. They've acquitted themselves pretty well so far. Um, in, in the last game, and, and this is going to be a big point of emphasis for, for USC this week, they let Cam Rising go absolutely ape crap uh and it went berserk in that game 475 yards of, of total offense and then dalton kincaid utah's tight end he had 16 catches for 234 yards and a touchdown usc is going to have to address that usc has had problems with tight ends all year and utah goes to the tight ends about as much as any offense in america we we, we saw it yesterday when with usc against michael mayer um i i was all over the michael mayer over props and they got there pretty early uh, my, uh usc had given up three touchdown catches to michael Aziki. so i think utah is going to try to do a pretty similar thing on offense Utah, I mentioned that USC will not have Travis die. You have to mention Utah is not going to have Tavion Thomas. They're, they're RB1. 
Utah had gone to more of a, a, a platoon thing. So, so maybe it's not quite as concerning, but Tavion Thomas is a really good player. He had suffered a foot injury or a toe injury uh, a couple weeks ago and announced he was just going to declare for the draft and walk away from the team, not, not try to push it or whatever with totally his prerogative. But you, you, you do have to mention that as well. It's, it, it's a really fascinating matchup. Like I said before, it was decided by one point last time, the total yardage in the last game, 562 for Utah, 556 for USC, about as close as you can get in a shootout. And USC fans, uh, they're making, I'm contractually obligated for USC fans to mention that they have a gripe about that game because of a, a late roughing the passer penalty that that they have still not for, forgotten USC that extended a drive for Utah and, 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 and allowed them to eventually take the lead. So you have that. And also you have to mention in the previous game, Jordan Addison got nicked up in that game and had to leave. So USC was not with his services at the end of it it's a fascinating one but but utah is one of those teams that that usc does not want to see because they're a team that their strengths sort of go into uh usc's weaknesses we saw that the first time around it's going to be a fascinating rematch where if usc wins this one they're punching their ticket into the college football playoff and the new uh voting or the new um uh, lines have not set as far as top 25 but usc was six utah was 14 so you can see the impact of this big matchup so if this moves to three and a half, this is a jump on Utah bet. If it doesn't, is this going to be kind of a stay away? Um, but beneath, I mean, I, I'm going to be leaning towards Utah either way. But if when it gets to three, that's going to be my trigger point. Unless I, unless I feel like the way that I'm reading the market that it could get to three and a half. Um, cause obviously you're taking a risk at that point if you wait, cause then it could toggle back to two and a half. You might not see a three again. So it'll just be dependent on the market read, but three is, is, is where the decision we, we, we have to start thinking real hard about that. And then three and a half for sure is, is okay. the, would be, yeah, that's, that's a no doubter. Well, with the conference championships, if you want to track all of your conference championship wagers in one place, check out betting pros, pick tracker, bettingpros.com slash pick dash tracking syncs up your sports books. It'll tally which picks hit, which miss, and it'll give you live looks at what the public is doing in real time. Go uh, get on the leaderboard and quickly become sharp by using the free advice we've got for you over at bettingpros.com slash pick dash tracking do it. One of uh, my favorite teams to watch this year for everything they've done. I was telling you off uh, off air that I had a pretty uh, pretty uh, party, hectic Thanksgiving that took me down a couple notches, uh, Thor. But uh, I, usually I would get my bets in, but I was sleeping a little bit later and maybe recovering a little bit more. This was the number one team I wanted to bet on Saturday, and it's TCU. And TCU is going in to the Big 12 championship facing off against Kansas State. This is another one of those, you know, theoretical top uh, 15 teams as Kansas State was 12, TCU was 4. Early lines, I know you've got a bet on this right now. The early lines has got um, it's got TCU as a two-and-a-half-point favorite. All they do is win and cover. So what say you about TCU? Who are you locking in? I locked in TCU at that two-and-a-half number. I didn't want it to get up to three. My adjusted line on this game is TCU minus 3.6. So I do think that there's line value beneath three. Even at three, I, I'd be okay with that. But getting the two-and-a-half, that's that was the no-doubt lock-in point for me um, on Sunday here. I, I like, you know, and we, and we've seen this one before, I mean, it's, it's another sort of fascinating rematch October 22nd, uh, Kansas state had was up by 18 points on TCU. TCU ends up roaring back and winning that game, but it's another one where the opposing fan base is like, yeah, but we have to add some context here. Adrian Martinez had gone down in that game for Kansas state. Will Howard played really well in relief. And of course we're going to see Will Howard here because Adrian Martinez is now injured again, whatever, uh, not going to play. But in that game also, Will Howard got injured at the end of the third quarter. Kansas state had to bring in their third string quarterback for, and he only threw one pass. That pass was intercepted by TCU. So, so some of that stuff was obviously not great for Kansas state. Kansas State even entered that game sort of injury riddled because uh, they had played this really rough and tumble game with Iowa State uh, a week or two before that. And then Deuce Vaughn got, uh, you know, nicked up in that game. There was just a bunch of injury stuff going on on their side. But it was another example of, of TCU sort of seizing the moment, being resilient. And then when they they got that opportunity, it's like a, a race car driver going around the track. And you finally see the crack of where you can get in. TCU has been accelerating through that crack every single time it opens. They, they did it in that game. And we've seen it over and over again. TCU ended up having 105 more yards of total offense than Kansas State in that game. 
Um, but again, the, the the injuries were a factor. And then as far as injuries now, TCU is a team that has been banged up in recent weeks, but they, they've gotten some good news. Uh, Kendra Miller, their stud running back, he came back in the last game against Iowa State. He had like uh, 15 or 16 offensive touches and looked pretty good. So so you can consider him a, a 100%. Uh, Davis, the, the outside speed receiver for TCU, um, the, the speed merchant kid, he played. He did come back last week after after missing time, uh, played limited snaps, but he did have one catch for 14 yards. TCU obviously hoping that he'll be 100 uh, percent this week. Quentin Johnston, who came into last week that he, he is the stud on the TCU team, a potential top 10 overall draft pick. He came into last week with injury concerns. We thought he might be able to play against Iowa State. That was the indications that we gotten. He ended up not playing, which I found a little bit curious. Sonny Dykes, right after the game, though, addressed this, which is one of the things I like about Sonny Dykes. He tells you a little bit more than than you know the Mike Gundys of the world and stuff like that about the player injuries. But uh, uh, Sonny Dykes basically said uh, Quentin Johnston could have played. He was able to play today, but we figured if we didn't need him for this game, that we would just let him have the week and then get him even more healthy for the Big 12 title game. It, it sounded sort of like going back to Gundy, the scenario that he had with Spencer Sanders a couple of weeks ago where he actually needed to bring Spencer Sanders in to finish out that game and, and, and get a W. Uh, TCU was controlling the game against Iowa State right from the jump, so they didn't need to uh, uh, send in Quentin Johnson, but Quentin Johnson was dressed and and, and ready to play. Um, I, I would have to assume, based on all the context I had from last week and then Dykes' comments right after the game addressing this, that Quentin Johnson is going to be playing against Kansas State. What percentage is he going to be? I'm not sure, but Dykes clearly believes that that he improved those that percentage by not playing him last week. So we'll see on that, but they're getting back. They're sort of singular offensive talent. Nobody in America can cover that kid one-on-one uh, just because of the physical gifts he has. So, so he's going to provide a little bit of a puzzle for Kansas State. But for me, any number beneath three, that's I, I'm taking TCU on that. Over on the MAC championship, Ohio's hosting Toledo. Ohio nine and three on the year, seven and one in the MAC. Toledo is seven and five, five and three in the MAC. But Toledo is a three and a half point favorite currently. You have a little bit of value on the adjusted line in favor of Ohio. So what say you on the MAC championship? Yeah, just a little bit. I have, I have Toledo minus two two point nine points. So so basically Toledo minus three, and and it's at three and a half in the market right now. I'm fine with that. Um, this is a game where. This game would have been so much more fun to watch uh, about a month ago when both the starting quarterbacks for both teams were healthy because they're both studs, Curtis Rourke and and Daquan Finn. I don't think, well, we're definitely not going to see Curtis Rourke because he's already been ruled out for the season on the Ohio side. I don't think we're going to see Daquan Finn either. Toledo tried to rush him back last week and Daquan Finn looked absolutely awful. Like he should still be in the trainer's room or a hospital room or something. They had to yank him, not because he made the injury worse, but just because he was so inefficient effective on the field through a couple interceptions and just couldn't do anything through the air. And then he was, his uh, mobility was compromised too. Uh, he was in a walk. He was seen in a walking boat, um, maybe even in the second half, but certainly after the game, I, it would be a surprise to me if Daquan Finn is able to turn around seven days later and where they'll feel they're going to have to feel better about his health status than they did last week because they saw what happened last week when they tried to play him. Um, it really set them behind the eight ball in that game. So it looks like we're going to get the the backup quarterbacks on both sides. So I figured we we, we better we better talk about uh, those kids. The one that I prefer is um, I think that there's less of a downgrade on the Ohio side than the Toledo side because uh, the Tucker Gleason kid, he's the backup for Toledo. Um, he's not acquitted himself well when he has had to be in, which is the reason that Toledo rushed back Daquan Finn last week. But Tucker Gleason, when he came in for fit, I mentioned how poorly Finn was playing last week. So they're like, okay, we can't play you anymore, Finn. We have to bring in Gleason. So they bring in Gleason. Gleason goes 13 of 38. Uh, do that do that math in your head really quick. Not good. For 200 yards, one touchdown, and one interception. And he obviously does not have the the, the legs that, that Finn does. Uh, Gleason went uh, one and one in his two previous uh, starts when he, you know, for an injured Finn, uh, 27 to 24 win over EMU, 42 to 35 loss to Bowling Green. But last week did not acquit himself very well. The the kid for Ohio is a little bit more interesting. Their backup, uh, his name is CJ Harris. Uh, he went uh, 10 of 21 last week, 196 yards and a touchdown, but he added 65 rushing yards and three touchdowns. Basically, you can think of C.J. Harris as an enormous downgrade from Curtis Rourke as a thrower, but C.J. Harris is a better runner. Now, does that make up the the value? No, 
but it makes a partial of, of the value. I just don't think he is as big of a downgrade as going from Finn to Gleason. And so, so maybe that, you know, I, I should bake that a little bit more into the line. I, I'm not sure we'll, we'll see as the statuses go on this week, if it's going to be Finn or, or if it's, you know, if, if it's going to end up being Gleason, but if Finn is not playing this game and it is Gleason, I just don't think that I could trust Toledo with a bet. Now, I think this was uh, from our conversations beforehand. I feel like this is one of your favorites of the week because there's a lot of value. This bad boy is the Sun Belt Championship. Coastal Carolina is going up against Troy. Troy's 10 and 2, 7 and 1. Uh, or I'm sorry, did I say I think this is the Sun Belt? Yeah, this is the Sun Belt. Come yeah. I don't even know if I said that correctly. Uh, the Sun Belt Conference. They're 7 and 1. Coastal Carolina, 6 and 2 in the Sun Belt. They're 9 and 2 overall record. This line that we've currently sitting at is between 7.5 and, and 8. That is not the line that you got. That is not the line that you saw. And that is not the adjusted line. So I know you like Troy in this one. Talk about your path on uh, betting early on Troy. Yeah, I I definitely do. My adjusted line in this game is Troy minus 11.4. And uh, it it looks like the line now is up to uh, Troy minus eight and a half. I was able to punch it in at Troy minus seven and a half. I was mentioning to you before the show. I, it's so rare when you have a bet regret on the same day, but I, I do with this game because earlier today when I was, uh, you know, I, I'm always refreshing my books to see when they'll drop the line. And when they first dropped the line, it was Troy minus five, which is one of those where I was like, I, I sort of got blown back in my seat. And so I was like, well, that must mean Grayson McCall's coming back. Cause that's the only thing that, that could explain that, uh, that big of a, dis- that, that was a, a six and a half point discrepancy from what my line is. So I spent the next 40 minutes researching, like doing the deepest of dives into Grayson McCall's status. And, and then when I came back and felt okay about my read of that, it had already toggled to Troy minus seven and a half. And so I was, I was just hitting myself for, for not locking that one in early. I did lock it in at seven and a half. It's since moved to, to eight and a half. So we're, we're going to end up with some line value on that, especially because if, if McCall is not announced his back, which is what you would expect right now, I'll get into that in a second. If he's not, if he, if he's not playing in this game, this game has got to be Troy by double digits by the time we get to kick, um, whether it's 10, whether it's 10 and a half, or whether it's even closer to my line of basically 11 and a half. Um, the, the backup for uh, Coastal Carolina has been uh, just abysmal ever since he took over. I thought it was going to be this Bryce Harp, uh, Carpenter, the, the kid who'd been his backup before, but they've been playing this kid called Jarrett Guest. Jarrett Guest in his uh, in, in, in his 43 attempts this year, I guess, 44.2% completions, 302 yards, and a 1-4 to four TD INT ratio. Compare this with Grayson McCall's career stats. Grayson McCall, 28 and 3 as a starter. Grayson McCall has completed over 70% of his passes as a as a as a as a starter. So almost 30% more than the backup in, in, in his admittedly uh, smaller sample. But Grayson McCall 74 to 7 TDI TD INT ratio, and he broke Mac Jones's single season FBS record for passing efficiency last year. He also is a better runner than this guest kit. So not only does Coastal's running game get worse, their passing game drops off the biggest of shelves. Um, and, and so you've seen these past couple of weeks when it's been guessed that he, he started two games now. It was against Southern Miss and then um, last week against James Madison. I, against Southern Miss, he was not very good. They managed to squeak by because Southern Miss struggles on offense. Coastal won that game 26-3. to Then the um, Coastal was supposed to play Virginia. That game obviously got canceled because of the tragedy at UVA. But then last week, Coastal just gets annihilated by James Madison, 47 to seven. James Madison has a really good run defense. So they shut the lights out on that part of Coastal's uh, uh, offense. And the, the Jared Guest kid obviously cannot throw. And so, I mean, Coastal just, they they were looking around like, where's Grayson McCall? We can't do anything, you know, was basically what happened there. That makes this one tough if Grayson McCall doesn't go because Troy has a really good defense. And they can do the same thing of shutting down your lights in the running game. If they do that and make Coastal play one-handed with the pass, again, if, if it's Jarrett Guest again, um, Coastal is really going to struggle to uh, to put up points. And Jarrett Guest will turn that ball over. The, so the big question about this game, will Grayson McCall return? So I, I, I did I did the deep dive. Like I said, I've, I've gone through the quotes. I've zapruded the whole thing. So when Coastal announced that Grayson McCall was going to be out with his foot injury, they said his recovery timeline is three to six weeks. This game on Saturday, the Sunbelt Championship, will be played three weeks and three days to the day after that was announced. 
So if Grayson McCall is back, it will be on the extreme front end of that recovery timeline. Most people, when it came out, they reported it as he's going to be done at least until ball season, and we'll see if he can come back during ball season. But again, we did have that sort of finite uh, recovery timeline that they had tossed out, which this game technically would fall in. Again, on the front end, but it would fall in. Uh, I during my deep dive, I did not find anything else that has been stated about this. I, I didn't see any, you know, uh, uh, the coach coming out and being like, yeah, he's going to play or, or 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 expressing optimism about that. It's going to be one where we need to parse the quotes on the Coastal Carolina side the whole time. Or maybe they'll just come out early in the week and, and, and rule them out or, um, you know, go the other way with it. But right now you would have to consider Grayson McCall very, very, very iffy to play in this game. Uh, definitely less than 50%. We'll see again, you know, we'll, we'll amend that as we go on through the week based on the quotes and the information that we're getting. But I had to bet this game as though there's, you know, a 75% chance or better that it's going to be guessed. And if it's McCall, that would mean, again, he's on the front end of that uh, recovery timeline from a foot injury. So then in your head, you're sort of modulating, okay, you got to take away Grayson McCall's rushing utility now. Because if he's on the very front end of it, he's not going to be testing that foot any more than, than he has to. Probably going to be, be staying in the pocket, sort of like Bonex a couple of weeks ago when, when he'd been running so much. But then they play, uh, was it uh, Utah or whoever they played a couple of weeks ago? And, and he ended up being able to play, but he didn't run at all in that game. I, I don't even know if he had one. He definitely did not have a designed rushing attempt, but I also don't think he scrambled at all. Um, that that's what I think you would get if Grayson McCall is is playing in this game. And then you would have to wonder too about the driving of the throws. That was another thing that we saw with Knicks a couple of weeks ago. There was at least one interception, the interception at the very end of the game. He tried to throw it uh, across the field on a pass that he probably would have hit if he was healthy, but he couldn't get the oomph into it like usual. And by the time the, the ball finally got there, not nearly as quick as it would have been, the Utah guy, it, it had been telegraphed and it was on its way and, and he was able to undercut it and intercept it. So whether we get uh, Grayson McCall at, you know, 80% or 85% or, or less, or whether what it seems like more likely it's going to be guessed, I think there's value on Troy with this number being in the single digits still. And again, if Grayson McCall's ruled out, this thing's shooting uh, Troy minus 10 or above really, really quickly. How about the SEC championship, which is your midday game over on CBS? It's the biggest line currently that we are seeing as we're recording this. Looking like 16 and a half coming into last week. It was this would have been a number one, number five matchup. That's big dog stuff. 12 and 0, obviously, Georgia is undefeated in the SEC, of course. LSU, six and two in the SEC with a nine and three record. And this is one of the five that you're jumping on, Thor. You have a bet already preset on Sunday with this Georgia team with, with Georgia. Yeah. With that line being under 17, I expect the line to be 17 or probably a little bit above by kickoff. I, I, I think the fair line on that is Georgia minus 17 and a half. My adjusted line is Georgia minus 17.2. So, I mean, that's, that's important for me, but I just feel like that would be the objectively fair line. So for, you know, when it opens and it's beneath that, I'm, I'm pulling that, you know, that I'm, I want that ticket. So, so I bought it on Georgia minus 16 and a half. And again, I, I do expect it to go up. So if, if you're interested in Georgia and you see it beneath 17, whenever you hear this, that that's where I would, um, I, I would buy that ticket. I'm happy in this game. Uh, while we were talking about the past couple and we had to do the, the quarterback injuries and all this sort of stuff. We don't have as many injury concerns in this one. And, the big dogs. Yeah. And we, we definitely don't have any quarterback injuries in this one. We also do not have the context of a previous game played this year because these teams have, have not yet played. So it's going to be interesting watching these two teams feel each other out and stuff like that. Last week for both of them, it was sort of like uh, Ohio State and Michigan the week before they played, you know, so two weeks ago or whatever, when they both had the overlook and they both absolutely overlooked the Illinois and Michigan's case and Maryland and Ohio State's case. And they both almost got beaten by doing it. Um, but LSU, they actually got beat by Texas A&M. Now, A&M had Devin Achain back, so you have to, to give that for him. But LSU was very clearly overlooking that. And then A&M got the supercharger of getting their best player back. And so A&M ju just raced by them. And then Georgia, they were they clearly had overlooked too. Uh, Georgia Tech was – Georgia Tech was only down 10-7 to 7 at halftime. 
Georgia Tech, their quarterback was that Zach Gibson kid that we've been making fun of all season because he ran out of bounds on the Hail Mary attempt. Uh, and he was the guy who was keeping Georgia Tech close. Now, Georgia Tech did end up pulling away. They, they scored 37 consecutive points after they fell down early. They ended up winning 37 to 14, but didn't even come close to covering in that game. Um, I, I toss out the last week results. I, I don't think it's it, it, it's any sort of carryover, especially because there you know there was no key injury suffered on either side or whatever. I just think objectively in a vacuum, this line should be Georgia minus seventeen and a half, and I don't think it should be beneath Georgia minus seventeen. What one thing potentially is, I mean, th- this is sort of a mindset thing, and so this is something I'm going to be digging into in into my handicap this week. This week on in this game probably as much or even more than the on-field matchup because I can see these two teams playing in my head. I, I've seen these two teams play so many times that, that I know their strengths. I know their weaknesses. I know everything else like that. I'm curious about Georgia's mindset heading into this game in regards to this. Georgia, even if they lose this game, they're going to the college football playoff. So like, I mean, but you never want to say the SEC title game doesn't mean anything because of course it does. But like the the stakes are less for Georgia than I think they would normally be. Um, And so does that play any sort of a factor or is this, I mean, it's the SEC title game, right? Like, so, you know, is there going to be any of that? But we have seen in in recent years, teams in that scenario have played a little bit down. So that's something where I'm I'm going to be looking into it pretty deeply to try to get a gauge of, of what sort of where Georgia's head is at heading into this one. And then on the LSU side, the, the pop psychology thing that you need to check in on is after last week, you're wondering if this is a deflate spot for them, right? Because heading into last week, they, they you know, it was like, well, if there's chaos above us and we just hold serve, we just, we just beat AM. Now we're right on the doorstep. And heck, we beat Georgia in that SEC title game, the only game we will have played against them this year. Then I, you know, I, we might be going to the CFP. That stuff's all gone now w- with the AM thing. So because of that, does LSU play down any, or is it the SEC title game? They both play up. It's probably a wash in the handicap, but it is something that I'm going to be paying very close attention to on both sides. The Athletic American Championship. Uh, we've got a uh, we got a big matchup on that one. UCF, who's nine and three, going up against Tulane, who's ten and two. Seven and one in the conference. Tulane's currently a favorite. Uh, I see a three-point line. I know. I think your early line. Uh, no, it looks like three is about the same line that's putting out there. But there's a little bit of an advantage. And this is the fifth and final, I believe, of the games that you have put early tickets in on. So talk to me about Tulane, who has got your vote. Yeah, my uh, my adjusted line on that game is Tulane minus four point four. The line came out beneath three, so you know you knew I had to buy a ticket on it. I didn't want to take the chance that that thing would get to three, so I punched it in at Tulane minus two point five. And by the time we even got on this record, it's Tulane minus three now. Now I I don't expect like that thing still could potentially toggle back to two and a half. I don't think it's gonna. I don't think that line this week will get up to where my line is. I, I don't see this thing get to, getting to four and a half. I think you're going to see it right around that three number the the whole time. Could it get batted to three and a half? Maybe. Could it come back to the two and a half? Maybe. But I think that's where you're going to see this the whole time. We've already seen this game played once, and it was in the same venue uh, when UCF ended up beating uh, Tulane earlier this season, 38 to 31 in New Orleans. This game is in New Orleans. It's one of those conference championship games that is hosted by the the team with the higher seed or whatever. So Tulane ended up getting that by beating Cincinnati. We were on Cincinnati last week on, on Friday. They ended up winning that to get to this game. And when we were talking about Tulane and Cincinnati, we were talking about the motivation edge that was on the Tulane side because Tulane hadn't in a million years uh, uh, won their conference championship or even played in one of them. They had never, it it was not the AAC when they did, it was in 98 with the conference USA. They have never appeared in an AAC title game. Tulane badly wanted that. They they were talking about that all last week. We had to get into the AAC title. We had to get into the AAC title. They end up doing that. And then since he, I didn't even know that it came out today that Luke Fickle went to Wisconsin. Those guys must be pretty good at keeping secrets because all these other coaches out there, even the ones that aren't taking jobs, they're, they're thrown around. around and bandied about for all these different things. I didn't see anything about fickle to Wisconsin, like up until about 20 minutes before it was started to be reported as quasi official. So, so that thing was just dropped on us. Um, it seems like uh, fickle did a pretty good job. So, you know, as far as with the team and, and, and with the rumors overall, so it doesn't seem like that thing ended up affecting uh, Cincinnati at all. 
Tulane just was the better team, you know, if, 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 if you watch that game. Going back to the earlier season matchup, like I said, UCF won that game 38-31 to 31 in New Orleans. The Knights outgained the Green Wave 468-391. to 391. UCF controlled the ball for uh, 10 more minutes of, of game clock. And they also benefited, UCF did, from a 2 to nothing turnover uh, advantage in that game. The one good thing that Tulane did, well, Tulane did a couple of things in that game that was decent. They held UCF. They totally shut down the passing attack. UCF only threw for 132 yards. But a part of that was because UCF was getting their rushing yards at will. Uh, UCF ended up running for 336 yards and four touchdowns. But here's where it gets interesting, and here's where it gets important, and here's where we get into the points of emphasis for Tulane this week. John Reese Plumley in that game, or John, I'm sorry, John Rice Plumley. I'm, I'm trying to get better at it. John Rice Plumley, the, the UCF quarterback, the, the dual threat kid. He'd been at Ole Miss before, transferred over. He's also a baseball player. He is extremely athletic. In fact, at the end of his time at Ole Miss, he was playing wide receiver. It's part of the reason why he transferred to UCF because he wanted to get back into the game as, as a quarterback. Dual threat kid runs the Gus Melzon offense really. Well, and he has all, all the physical tools for it in that game against Tulane. He rushes for 176 yards and two touchdowns. Tulane, an enormous point of emphasis, the point of emphasis for their defense this week. How do we contain uh, John Rice Plumley better? How do we have a better containment plan for that? Whether it's the design runs, whether it's the scrambles. The Tulane figured out how to take away their, their passing attack the last time, which isn't that hard because John Rice Plumley, the accuracy and the and the placement as a thrower are the down are the knocks on his game. But obviously the, the good runner and, and Miles on team are always good at running. They have a deep running back stable as well. But they had the most problems with Rice Plumley. Um, and, and so they have to figure out a, a way to do that. And then on the other side, uh, to, so Tulane ends up throwing for 100 plus more yards in that game on 1.7 more YPA. Tulane's running game actually only averaged a half yard less per attempt than UCF's did in that bonkers game that, that UCF had. But Tulane ran the ball exactly half as many times. It was 54 for UCF, 27 for Tulane in part because of the turnovers by Tulane, in part because in the, the conversion opportunities, they didn't do as well. So UCF got the more opportunities. And then Tulane's defense, in part because of Rice Plumley, what he was doing, they just could not keep them off a of schedule and not force them to punt. So to, UCF ends up uh, holding the ball for so much longer, et cetera. But it was still a game in, until the very end, obviously finished by uh, the one possession. One big thing here for Tulane on offense, the, I think the thing for them on offense with the game script. Early on, they're going to want to go to Tajay Spears a lot more than they did in the last game. I think they wanted to test it through the air a little bit more, and then the game script just got away from them. But in the last game, Tajay Spears, he runs for 130 yards on only eight attempts before Tulane had to just start throwing to try to get back into that game. Tajay Spears, they want Tajay Spears attacking the, the UCF front. This is a fascinating game, but like I said, just in a vacuum, having having the, the line at, at Tulane minus 4.4 with my adjusted line against where that this line started out beneath three, that's absolutely a smash spot on Tulane for me in, in this game where they could get revenge. Again, haven't won a conference title since 1998. This is their first birth in the AAC title game. Absolutely, I'm taking that beneath three. At three, I, I would still bet uh, Tulane. Um, Tulane is going to be the the, the side for me, but it, it, it's a fascinating rematch and a fascinating handicap. If you believe in weird signs that exist out there, on my own sheet, I wrote Tulane versus Tulane equals Tulane favorite. So all <laughs> those Tulanes are just a little bit of a sign that you bet that. All right, we got three more conference championships. The Mountain West Championship, Fres uh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm moving ahead of myself. The uh, Mountain West Championship, Fresno State's going up against Boise State. I was playing that one out in my head, and we hadn't even talked about it. <laughs> Boise State looking at a four-and-a-half line. Uh, Boise State, 8 no. In the Mountain West, they picked up eight of their nine wins out of conference. And uh, Fresno State, seven and one. They are eight and four on the year. So Boise State with a little bit of a line, but I believe the adjusted line is pretty close. We're under a full point between your line and what is out there publicly. So any thoughts on this one? Yeah, my my adjusted line puts this one in the dead zone of Boise State minus 5.1. So right where it is, it uh, you know, I mean, like moving from four and a half to five is, is not really a change. So like, you know, I, I don't see a ton of line value just in a vacuum on it. It's it's a very interesting handicap though. Boise State is going to be one of those health check uh, health status check teams uh, this week. 
Last week, they were without two of their starters heading into the game. Stephen Cobbs, uh, probably their best receiver on the team, and then Riley Smith, their, their starting tight end. They were both out. And then during the game, one of their starting safeties, Tyreek Jones, was carted off the field with his own injury. I did look around at the Boise State beat reporters um, over the over the last you know little bit less than 24 hours trying to figure out the statuses of three these three guys. It looks like there's a shot that they're going to get Cobbs and, and Smith back. Um, I would consider that Jones kid highly doubtful from what, what I had heard and what I had read. They have not disclosed his injury, but it did not look good on the field. And the beat reporters are sort of insinuating that, that his season is over. We Again, it's a health uh, status check thing. We, we, we got to check back and see if we get more information on that um, uh, that stuff. With that out of the way, you're, the, the way you set this up was perfect. Both of these teams are on heaters. Boise has won three straight. They've won and they've won seven of eight. And their entire season flipped when, number one, they fired their offensive coordinator and then brought back their old buddy, Dirk Cutter, to run the offense. And then when they kicked Hank Bachmeyer, sort of the, the, the limited veteran, noodle-armed, heady pocket passer guy who had been their starter for, for four years, they, they showed him the door because they, they had this fresh, exciting, uh, enormous dual threat from Texas that they seem to have pulled out. A t- I don't know how they got this kid. They, they just fight t- tail on green. I'm talking about he's six foot six, like 220 pounds, and he's an awesome runner. Um, as a passer, it's, it's going to take him some time, but he has shown some flashes in that. Or, but th- that's the part of his game that, that, that lags a little bit. But obviously, he's got that the enormous frame and, and, and the dual threat ability as well. Ever since they put Taylon Green in and they went with, with Cutter as the offensive coordinator, their arrow is just shot up and they become more like the Boise teams from our past. So, like, you can basically toss out the uh, the first part of, of Boise's uh, schedule when, when Bachmeyer was the quarterback because there was a couple games in there where literally they could not win because of the way that Bachmeyer played, uh, specifically talking about the Oregon State game where I think Bachmeyer turned the ball over three or four times like in their first, like, five or six possessions. And by, by, by the time they finally pulled the plug on him in that game, they literally just could not come back in it. But ever since Taylon Green took over, it has been a totally different story there. So that's the team that you want to handicap. And then on the Fresno State side, there's also contextual things to know about, about the quarterback situation. Fresno State is on a seven-game winning streak coming into this game. They started one and four, and then, and then they rip out the, the seven wins. But the, they struggled because Jake Hayner got injured earlier this season and missed – uh, four plus games with with his ankle injury. The backup Logan Five for Fresno was just a guy, and Fresno devolved into being just a team, not not like the good Fresno that that we knew from from Hayner's time there earlier. But once Hayner's come back and Hayner's gotten fully healthy, now they've just become the they become the Fresno of the past. So Boise's become what they used to be. Fresno become what they used to be. Fresno annihilated Wyoming, who is going to a bowl 30 to nothing this past weekend. So they proved the concept there. These two teams have played this year in that game. Boise uh, whipped Fresno state 40 to 20. This was on October 9th and it was in Boise where this game will also be being played, but you have to add the enormous asterisk and put it in bold as well. And, and maybe neon flashing lights. That was one of the games where Jake Hayner was injured. And so, like, it's, it's just really not relevant to, I mean, any anything the way that that game played out is not relevant to the handicap of this game because Logan Fife was, was the starter for Fresno. He played really, really poorly. That loss in that game dropped Fresno State to one and four. Fresno State has not lost since. I, they are going to be chomping at the bit now to get a shot at revenge on Boise on the same field now with Hayner coming back. But again, Boise has gotten better and better and better as this tail on green kid gets better and better and better. Fascinating uh, handicap coming up this week on a game where the, the margins seem to be very low on, on Sunday with the line opens. Uh, the last two here, they're going to be vying for your attention and your time. Both are at the exact same time. First up, it is the ACC championship on ABC. Clemson going up against North Carolina. Clemson 10-2, undefeated in the ACC. They're 8-0. North Carolina 6-2. Clemson is looking like an eight-point favorite, and that is the line that you've got. So is there any edge? Is there any bet or anything to wait for in the ACC championship? Not for me right now. A couple of these games that we've talked about, I actually had legitimate discrepancies on it, and, and discrepancies big enough where I was called to action on, on, on pulling the trigger on them early. But this game, my adjusted line, like you mentioned, it's it's Clemson minus 8.2. And the, the line open, you know, right now it's at 8. I, I don't see any line value on that. This game is, is in Charlotte, North Carolina, but 
don't go thinking that North Carolina gets a home field because of that, because uh, I, I was doing the, the map quest today and figuring out the, they're exactly, Charlotte is basically in the midpoint between Clemson, South Carolina and Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Both fans are going to have to drive an equal distance. And obviously Clemson has a ton of experience in these games and North Carolina has, has a little taste of them as well. Not Drake may though their starter. My bigger issue with this game, not only do I not see you know, much line value on it yet. Yeah, well, we'll see what the market ends up doing with that. But it's also, it is so hard to get your finger on the pulse of either of these two teams. I, I, I don't trust either of them as far as I can throw them. And it's very hard for me to predict their, their performances. North Carolina, like th- th- they were this extremely flawed team, you know, with, with the, they have the awful defense and they have a really strong, powerful offense. Drake made their quarterback. He is a true freshman, but he is going to be the first pick in whatever draft class he comes out. Kid's just an absolute stud. He's either like at this point, he might've dropped. I'm going to have to check the, the updated PFF grades, but I would be stunned if he has dropped out of the top five overall PFF graded quarterbacks this year. He's been in the top three all season long. The past two weeks though, for North Carolina, they had gotten through all this other stuff. They'd started out nine and one. Some of these games where they were these wild shoot outs where North Carolina they always found a way to pull them out at the end and then you're looking at their at, at their schedule and you're like man they're, they're, their last two games are pretty forgiving you know I mean they, they hosted Georgia Tech and then they were going to play NC State and NC State's third or fourth or fifth string quarterback or whatever and it's like man North Carolina is going to go into the ACC title game 11 and 1 maybe we've got to start talking about them as a as a potential CFPT like a dark horse bid or whatever and then uh, UNC just absolutely fell on their face against Georgia Tech in one of the more uh, weird results of of November Georgia Tech wins that one all right and then last week you were hoping that you saw a bounce back from North Carolina you really didn't get it uh they did play better you know that that game went into overtime and they they essentially ended up losing a uh, a coin flip is uh, 30 to 27, but you have to bring it in double overtime. You have to bring up the context though. NC state was using their four string quarterback in that game. So it's like, I mean, yeah, I know it went to overtime. I know it was close, but UNC, you, you really shouldn't be, be losing that game. And maybe they had a look ahead, but they can't really argue that they had a look ahead for two straight weeks. No one's vision goes that far. Um, and then as, as far as Clemson, they're coming off their own embarrassing loss. Uh, they, they play South Carolina. South Carolina seemingly was in the biggest deflation spot of all time after they had just annihilated Tennessee. Spencer Rattler told the media after that game it was the biggest win and I, I think he even said program history, which, which seems hyperbolic but you know people were crying the celebration went on in columbia for days and it's like okay if there's ever a hangover spot this is this is it for south carolina then south carolina goes in and beats clemson um did not acquit that clemson did not acquit themselves well in in that game so what are you going to get from both these teams clemson has just been inconsistent all season they've gone up up down up down up down and then north carolina they seem to have it before and then they've just lost it in in recent weeks you're going to have to figure out your gauge on on that thing meanwhile just on the status check stuff uh, Clemson's wide receiver, Bo Collins, one of their starters, he he had missed some time before he was able to come back for the last game uh, from, from his shoulder injury against South Carolina, but he was pulled uh, in the first half. He, he ended up finishing two catches for 65 yards, finished the game in street clothes. There must have been an aggravation of it or he wasn't feeling good, whatever. I'm not sure, but he did not play in, in the entire second half. That would seemingly make him very iffy to play in this game, but you're going to have to check on his status this week. The other thing I'll bring up, um, R.J. Mickens, uh, uh, starting Clemson safety, he is not going to be playing in this game until halftime. He got ejected in the second half of the targeting call. So by rule, he, he is disqualified from the first half of this game. We'll see. Both these teams, you have to feel good about where you can get on them. I, I don't see a ton of line value. This is going to be a game I handicap hard all week, and we'll see what I come up with. Finally, the Big Ten Championship. Michigan coming off that massive win. They're 12-0, and 9-0 in the Big Ten. Going up against Purdue, who's 6-3 and in the Big Ten. 8-4 and record. The second highest line. It was actually kind of floating right around that uh, other 16.5. It's moved to 16. So it's right there. Essentially the same thing. This is a big line. But is this another big win for Michigan? Is there a bet here for you on this bad boy? I have not bet this yet because I'm waiting to see on the Blake Quorum status. Blake Quorum in that Ohio State game, he did play, and he said he was going to play. So, I mean, like th- that was you know good to see. But he only had two carries for like four or five yards or something or six yards. Um, and then he spent the rest of the game on, on the sidelines. We need a status check on that. And Jim Harbaugh last week would literally tell us nothing. 
um, didn't tell us anything about Donovan Edwards either. And Donovan Edwards is the guy that stole that show, you know, sort of like Hassan Haskins did last year. That that was more predictable because Hassan Haskins had been awesome the entire season. But Edwards, you know, he's been RB2 to, to Blake and Blake Corm has been, you know, where at least was heading into last week was a top five Heisman contender. Edwards has been very good, mostly as the pass catching back for, for Michigan. And then, of course, spelling uh, Corum as well. But he got sort of thrust into that, that lead role. Coming off the injury, like I said, the week before he, he had missed the game against Illinois. And Edwards hit th- this ground running. Um, he, Edwards had a, a thumb injury where he had to, to wrap the hand up. I was wondering, heading into the, that game, is that going to affect him You know, in, in his utility as the receiving back or, you know, ball security or, or anything like that? Or can they give him the usage, you know, that, that they would want to if, if Quorum can't uh, handle his regular usage or whatever? But uh, Edwards looked awesome. He ran for over 200 yards. The, the two long touchdown runs that he had against Ohio State was basically what put the two nails in the coffin of Ohio State. You could tell, after, I mean, the, both the crowd just, I, it totally took all the air out of there, and then you didn't have the energy there. This was even after the first one. But then the Ohio State team, too, just seemed totally deflated after those. And then Michigan, of course, um, uh, completes the, the their blowout of them. Edwards finished 216 yards, and th- those two aforementioned uh, touchdowns. The other thing you got to mention about Michigan, J.J. McCarthy just played awesome. Um, seem, his game seems to be going up and up and up. Obviously, this is his first year as a starter. Um, he just absolutely shredded Ohio State, 263 passing yards, four total touchdowns. Um, so we, we need to check on, on the status of, of Corum coming into this game. Looks like Edwards is more than good to go based on what we saw last week. On the Purdue side, they also had a running back health thing coming into last uh, last week. They're starting running back Devin Mockaby had missed time before that. He was able to come back Mockaby against Indiana um, from this head injury that he had suffered against Northwestern the game before. Um, he ran in that game 99 yards uh, and a touchdown on 15 carries. So Mockaby looks looks healthy for them. I did even even though my adjusted line is two and a half points above where the market is on this. I credited Purdue with, with just a very slight uh, home field of, of advantage. It was, it was less than a point, but I, I I did credit Purdue just a little bit because obviously this game is being played in Indianapolis. It, it's closer to the Purdue side, but of course, Michigan has a lot of experience in, in these spots as well. And Michigan, of course, you have to mention, they have one of the best traveling fan bases in all of America. So it's not going to be lopsided by any means on, on, on the fan thing. In fact, Michigan may end up uh, having more, but Purdue is not going to have to travel as far and, and it's going to be a familiar surrounding for them. I'm showing the line value a little bit on Michigan right now, but again, I, I need to see what, what quorum status is. I also very similarly to the Georgia LSU handicap that we were talking about. I also need to check in on the, the Michigan, their mindset heading into this game vis-a-vis the idea that even if they lose, they are going to the college football playoff. And again, just like I mentioned with Georgia, that doesn't mean that they're just going to, you know, r- roll the ball out like sort of like UTSA was doing last week or, or a couple of those teams in, in those spots. You still want to win your conference title, of course, but are they going to hold anything back? Um, are, are they going to go just a little bit more vanilla w- with their game plans? Not to put that on tape. Are there any players that are, you know, 80 percent, you know, 85, 90 percent that maybe you withhold in this one because you're you're sort of the heavy favorites in this spot. Those are a couple of things to, to, to look at uh, there. But I'm, I'm going to dig into Michigan psychology with regards to that. And and we'll we'll handicap the heck out of this one. But I'm, I'm showing just a little bit of value on Michigan right now. Free picks, player props, breakdowns. You got it when you're with Thor. Nystrom and Mike Farrell. That's Game Day Live presented by DraftKings. Is it this last Saturday or are you guys going to be going through the month of December? Is this the last one coming up? So this is our our last live uh, Saturday morning show of the season where we're going to go from, uh, like we always do, 10 10 a.m. Eastern to 11.30 a.m. Eastern. But then after that, for for bowl season, I, I don't even know if I can if I can say this because I don't even know if, if anyone's announced this. But heck, it, you know, I, I share everything with the listeners out there, so I'll share this with you. We will be doing it for bowl season. It's not going to be on the Saturday mornings because you have the the weird staggered stuff with with the bowl schedule, where it's on the weekday and stuff like that. But we we've set out a schedule that will will deliver you guys multiple episodes of that with me and Mike live going through the the whole uh, gamut of, of the bowl games one by one. So we'll have several of those throughout. We will release that when 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 we got it. Awesome, awesome stuff. There you go. The final early look of the season. You can find him on Twitter at ThorKU. You can find me on Twitter at Is it the Welsh and Thor and everybody. Thank you so much for letting me come in, talk some college football, getting some betting action in. This show has been invaluable, and I hope you guys have enjoyed it. Make sure that you subscribe to the Betting Pros channel so you're notified of all the stuff that that uh, is going on over here. And 
Make sure you lock in on Saturday for the final one with Thor and Mike. For Thor, I am Welsh. You guys have a fantastic week and enjoy the conference championships.